You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, Starting with Ministers of the New Covenant. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, was not the ministry of the Spirit have a, even more will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there were glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness much must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to start this sermon today with where we're going to finish. I feel like you can sum up the tone of Paul's writing to the Corinthian church by what the Apostle John later goes on to say uh, in his book, 1 John. He says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and I've gone, I've lost it. And the pride of life, I was memorising this with my kids all week and like the great moment and it's like, it's gone. Those things are not from the Father, but they are from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is a passage that calls us to look at the glory of Jesus. So let's start with where... Paul wants us to end in these words. Look at Jesus. Look at him. He's amazing. 
And if you want to look at Jesus from the warmth of your car, that's totally fine as well. You're allowed to, you're allowed to stand up and turn your back to me as I talk. It's just like, a, we'll treat it like a podcast. You're just listening. It's okay. But look at Jesus. He's awesome. Look at Jesus. He's so, so awesome. Look at Jesus in all of his glory. Look at the way he lived. Look at the person of Jesus. The way he loved the unlovable. The way he was so pure. The way he was so gracious and the way he gave himself to people. Look at the way he provided. Look at Jesus. Look at the way he gently embraces. Look at his warm smile to you. Look and see his courage. Look and see his strength. Look and see his miraculous provision. The feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. The casting of the net to the other side of the boat to a, a catch that they could not even pull in. Turning the water into wine at the wedding so the party could keep going. Look at Jesus. Isn't he amazing? Look at Jesus and his power. Isn't he amazing? His power to reason. His power in his teaching, his power to rebuke the religious Pharisees of the day, his power and his wisdom in the knowledge of all the world that he created in his power. Look at Jesus. He's glorious. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He calms the winds and the waves. He dries up the skies. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind and he brings back to life those who had died. This is the man, Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus and how glorious he is. Isn't he glorious? What do you love about Jesus? He's so glorious. So often I feel so unworthy to be considered his friend. But then, again, look at Jesus, resurrected from the dead. Jesus is alive. Finish work from the cross so that him and me, you and I, we together can have a new beginning that he so generously provides, that he gives freely from his love and his grace and his mercy. Look at Jesus, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. Look at Jesus. Isn't he glorious? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing that he calls us to himself? So much joy in the person and work of Jesus. So much joy to be included into his family. So much joy to be made a citizen of his kingdom, so much joy to be a soldier in his army. And the joy is ongoing with Jesus to see him continue to work in his church and through his people and throughout this world, to see and have him give us the gift of his Holy Spirit. Look at Jesus. The same power that animated and energized his life, he gives to his people. <laughs> Isn't he glorious? 
And to have Jesus even today continue to teach us, continue to heal us physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and to continue to have him be patient with us. Isn't he glorious? Isn't he amazing? And to one day with Jesus get a front row seat to see him judge and destroy all that is evil and wrong and corrupt in this world, to make all things new. Look at Jesus. Isn't he glorious? Isn't he glorious? Jesus is glorious. Jesus, you are glorious. Church, do you know Jesus? Are you right now seeing his glory revealed to you? Today, we start with where Paul wants us to get to in these words that he shares to this church in Corinth. And this is what we're going to hear from Paul. This is what he wants them to know. He's going to say, he says, he's going to say, my confidence as a believer in Jesus Christ, my confidence to be his messenger, my confidence to be his servant, my confidence to live the way that I do does not come from me. But it comes from who Christ is. It comes from what has been promised. It comes from what is possible. It comes from what is can be perceived and what is infinitely better in Jesus from nothing else in this world. This is my life, Paul's saying. I simply look at Jesus and as I do, as I look towards him, I find complete sufficiency in my life because of the all-sufficiency of his life. Or to put it another way, to say the same thing but slightly different I love Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And somehow there's a mystery of beholding more of Jesus makes me more like Jesus. This is the application of today's sermon. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For the things of this world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How do we arrive at that conclusion in these few chapters in 2 Corinthians? Well, here's the context. Here's where we're going so far. Um, Paul, in his letter, he's writing to this church in Corinth. It's, It's what we can sort of view as potentially the third or the fourth letter in this email chain of trying to figure out what's going on there. And it seems at this point they're having a bit of a crack at Paul, though they're just trying to understand what's going on here because he's changed his plans. They thought he was going to come and visit, and then he doesn't. And now he's trying to tell them why he hadn't come. It was because he loves them. It was the best thing for them not to go there. He, he had made a selfless act and sacrificed his priority so that they uh, would be better off. And now we're at this point in this letter where there's a slight change. And Paul is effectively now starting with his own personal reassurance for the Christian life that he's living. Um, 
the logic as you trace it through this passage is quite difficult. Um, as you read it in your gospel communities this week, um, you can be uh, you can be reassured that if you can't quite follow the chain of thought and figure out where the veil is and who is it on and what's it doing, that's okay. <laughs> Here's the big idea. Compared to everything in the world, Jesus is better. And that's why I do everything for Jesus because he's better than everything in the world. Okay, don't, uh, don't let yourself get too bogged down into like the historical context. It's, it's beautiful if you've got the time to try and sit down and nut it out. But Jesus is better is where, what Paul is really trying to say. Um, and if you want more reassurance on how this is, City on Hill, the pastors, we got together and we're chatting to this lecturer. Like his Greek of like New Testament Greek is like better than mine will ever be. And, uh, and he's like, do any of you have any questions about the book of 2 Corinthians? And I'm like, yeah, mate, help me understand this whole veil issue. What's going on here? And he had nothing. So he said, I'll get back to you. And he never did, which means he still doesn't know. <clears throat> but Paul starts his, uh, uh, his reasoning with talking to the Corinthians about why he's living the way he is. And he basically, he goes on to say, he starts with his own, his own personal reassurance for the Christian life. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see there in chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who, all, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who be a, who those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance of from death to death. To the other, the fragrance from life to life. That on its own is worth like three sermons on just like evangelism and what we can expect in the world. But here, Paul is, what he's doing is he's drawing on the, what the Corinthians know in their Roman context. So this idea of being led in triumphal procession with the aroma of Christ. So the, back in the day, they'd fight their wars. And when they would come back into town, they would basically have like a big like parade Mardi Gras thing. And the guys would be like, woohoo, we won. We defeated the enemy. It's amazing. We're so good. And and what they would do is that they, if, as part of the parade towards the end, and you can actually go and see like the old coins that would have this inscribed. There was like these bronze plaques that would sort of keep the history of these moments. They would bring like the kings that they had defeated and the, the people that they were then going to slaughter in the Colosseum for their own glory and be like, hey, we're so much better. We killed the people because when we have the land now. That's what they were doing. And on this parade, they would have all of these roses and these flowers to make it this sweet-smelling sense of victory. Now, if you are on Team Rome, you're just like, yeah, I smell that. That's the smell of victory. Like, literally, I can smell the parade. If you're not on Team Rome and you're, like, drudging along in your shackles and you can smell the roses, you're like, this is not the smell of victory. This is the smell of me about to die. The aroma of life, the aroma of death. And Paul, he looks at his life in Christ and he's just like, you know what my life is? It's just one constant, like, yeah, I'm on Jesus' team. Yeah, we win. I'm not going to do that dance again. And please, someone don't make a gif of that on YouTube. <laughs> but this is Paul's confidence. He's just like, I totally get it. To some people, they'll be like, that parade looks impressive. And they, they, they've won something there. And Paul's just like, yeah, beaten sin, Satan and death through the power of the resurrection from the dead. That's whose team I'm on. And there's others that smell this parade that 
buy into death, that buy into a life of sin, that are willing to reject Jesus and his authority and his lordship and his kingship. And they smell the parade and they're just like, don't like the smell of that at all. Now, we, we, you know, we have examples of this all the time. You know, anyone met a vegetarian? Any vegetarians here? Sorry, if there's, oh, there's a vegetarian. That's right. So for our beautiful vegetarian in the room, the rest of us will be cooking a beautiful lamb roast. And this is, this is how I know that we're not supposed to be vegetarian. I'm sorry. But my kids, I haven't trained them in this at all, but they'll come in like, oh, dad, what is that? Like that, girls, it's the smell of glory. That is, that is the lamb of Louis that is going to take away the hunger of our household. I didn't have to teach them to tell that that, that smells amazing. But I have friends who are vegetarians, and I don't know, sorry if, if this is you, but they walk in, they go, oh, oh, what is that smell? Oh, it's awful. Oh, oh you're cooking meat? You're cooking meat? Oh, that's so wrong. And then I get lectured for 45 minutes. Um, just that one friend. Uh, not you. But you know, the same smell... Glorious to some, not so glorious to others. But Paul is so confident on his position on Team Jesus that he's just like, I march around and I know that some people will want to give me a 45-minute lecture on why I'm wrong. But then I also know that as I walk through life and live for Jesus, there's going to be others that go, oh, what is that? Is that the smell of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? And Paul will be like, yes, it is. Let me tell you about Jesus. So that's his first reasoning for like, this is why I live the way I do because Jesus is such good news. He's glorious. He's amazing. He's awesome. And then it's like, he goes on, who is sufficient for these things? This is how good the message is. For we are not like so many people, peddlers of God's word, but we are men of sincerity, commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He's just like, am I like, like am I just like speaking up myself? Or do we need some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts, known and known by read by all. He's like, do we need to be impressive? No. How do you know that this news is real and true? Just look at yourselves that have received it. Look at how good the good news is. You are now more good in response to the good news. This news of Christ's death and resurrection from the dead and new life in him and to receive the Holy Spirit, to walk in newness of life, fresh start, behold all things are new. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. So it's like you are evidence of that in the way that you have received that. And then Paul goes on to keep telling why. It's even more good news. He's like, don't even look at yourselves. Look at the logic of this thing. And this is where he gets a little bit like he, he dives into the context. He gets a little bit, you know, he, he, he draws on his inner Hebrewness, And he talks about the, the difference between once it was like God's law, of, which led to death. And now it's God's spirit, which leads to life. It's just like verse, chapter three, verse six, they're ministers of a new covenant. It's new. It's good. There's this new thing. Not by the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The message we give is the one that gives you the Spirit. And then chapter 3, verse 9, for for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, this is the first thing that God was doing. He says, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed the glory. So he's comparing two things that God has done. 
And he's just like, God has been here and that was good, but it was passing away. There's a new thing that God is doing. It's even better. It's eternal. It's life giving. And he goes on, he, he fleshes it out with Moses. Moses, who put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze upon the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Moses, if you remember, he's, uh, he goes up on the mountain, sees God. It's awesome. He's like doing the whole writing tablets with stone and his face is just like, it becomes radiant, starts glowing. It's just like, whoa, this is what happens when you hang out with God. You're like, you're glowing, you know? And I think there's a, a, another Got it. I think there's another, this is my sermon notes. We don't need that. It's been said. (laughs) But Moses puts a veil over his face because he doesn't want the people to see that actually the the glory begins to fade off, begins to wear off. But then Moses is just like, we don't need a veil. Paul, he's like, we don't need a veil anymore because this thing only gets better and better and better and better and better. It's a relationship with Jesus. It only gets better. Why? Because it goes into eternity. Why? Because our faith becomes sight. Why? Because we only grow in our relationship. Why? Because the relationship is with Jesus who is perfect. Why? Because Jesus is the one who carries us through the relationship. Why? Because Jesus is patient with us in the relationship. Why? Because Jesus gives us his power and his spirit to continue on in the relationship. It only gets better and better and better. And that's why Paul's just like, Jesus is so much better. Jesus is glorious. This is why I want you to look at Jesus. Don't look at that old stuff that's fading away. Don't look at that stuff that's temporary. Don't look at that stuff that's perishing. Don't buy into that. Don't cave into that. Don't pursue that. Jesus is better. If you want to see the world clearly, look at Jesus, Paul is saying. If you want to see glory, if you want glory, look at Jesus. If you want to be transformed, look at Jesus. It's like Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He's like, look, guys, I know that you are searching in this world for the next experience of transcendence. And you've got questions about me and my role in that. He says, I know that you are people who long to have meaning and purpose and insight. And right now you've got questions about me and my role in that. And he knows that they are people who want to be in touch with their spirit so they may be able to have a more, they may be more effective in all of life. And right, he, right now he knows that they're sort of questioning him and his role in that. And then in this section of 2 Corinthians, sort of halfway through 2, 3, and then halfway into 4, Paul says, look, our confidence to live the way that we do as ministers of the gospel, our confidence of Christians is not from who we are or what we do, but in who Christ is. It's not in what we pursue, it's not in what we have, it's not in how we look, it's not in what we know, but it's what we are able to have in Christ. It's us looking to Jesus and Jesus alone. What he has promised, what he says is possible and what can, be see, what can be perceived in Jesus, it's infinitely better, infinitely better than anything else you could ever imagine. And this is our tactic. This is how we do it. We simply look at Jesus and we think about Jesus. We do life with Jesus. We aim everything towards Jesus. And why? For it is in him that we find complete sufficiency in this life and in nothing else. There's somehow this great mystery that as you behold the person and work of Jesus in all of his glory, it rubs off onto us. Except it doesn't rub off, rub off to then fade. It only keeps rubbing off. And we are transformed from one degree of glory to another 
he goes on to say at the end of chapter 3. Now, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you want to? I suspect that some of the Corinthians are asking this question and Paul is anticipating their questions as well. You know, it's almost as if as you make a transition to chapter 4, it's almost as if he says, I can tell what you're thinking, guys. You know, I've sort of laid it out here for you, the sufficiency and the beauty of Christ. Now you're saying to me, you're thinking right now, yeah, Paul, but if Jesus really is this good, why isn't everyone receiving him? And then Paul highlights for them and for us, having this ministry of God, we're in chapter 4, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's just like, we're just going to keep preaching the gospel. We're just going to keep talking about Jesus. And that is what we do at this church. And then he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if people aren't seeing what we are saying, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, why are they not receiving it? The God of this world, that's our enemy, that's Satan, has blinded the mind of, minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What is the reason that not everyone is talking about the glory of Jesus that you've, we've been thinking about in the last 20 minutes? Because a lot of people just simply haven't taken the time to listen, too busy, focused on other things, and the enemy is doing everything he can to try and put a barrier between us and God. C.S. Lewis writes a beautiful book, uh, I highly recommend. I mean, I know that book recommendations, no one ever reads them when the pastor talks about them up the front, but if you have not read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, um, you need to read that book. Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It is written from the perspective of a senior devil talking to a junior devil. And it's this weird flip of everything that the enemy wants to do to he put a barrier between you and knowing more about Jesus. Here's some of the things that we can read from that book, which I think are consistent with what Paul is highlighting to the Corinthians as to why not everyone sees the glory of Jesus. This is the senior devil writing to the junior. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Doesn't that resonate in what we see in this world? See, no one sets out to destroy their marriage. No one decides to go and make some of the terrible decisions that we see in this world. No one goes, oh, I'm going to do that now. The slow, gentle slope, soft underfoot.
where he goes on, another quote, whenever they are attending to the enemy, this they're talking about God, whenever they're attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. So if they're looking at God, it's like, well, we got nothing, we got nothing. But there are ways of preventing them, the Christians, the unbelievers, from attending to the enemy. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him onto themselves. Or once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man and it makes very little difference of what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Basically, this is what we've heard from Paul so far. Using Old Testament imagery and examples to show the people in Corinth that the things that they may be tempted to look at and run after and find glory and abundance in in their lives, they are nothing compared to when you hold them up next to Jesus. Jesus is better. And don't look at this. Jesus is better. And then he closes them with this final thought of this is why not everyone thinks Jesus is better because they're too busy over here and the enemy has put a barrier in between this and that. And so the application of his statements, I think, are summed up so well by John when he says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, they are not of the Father, but they are of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so here is all that in mind. The things of this world, Jesus is better. Here is the question for us all this day. In your life, where do you go to get your glory fix? What are you trying to use to scratch your glory itch? See, glory is the theme that Paul is driving us into. Look at Christ in all of his glory, infinite in his glory. He's amazing in his glory. And then there's all these false substitutes for glory that we run to and that the enemy wants us to look at instead because they're all fading and they don't give us life. Jesus is the glory that we all desire. What do you mean, like glory? What is glory? Look, we're all, everyone wants a taste of that glory. Everyone's going for glory. You know, to experience glory, it's to participate or behold a moment or an event that is marked by an intense sense of awe, wonder, and beauty. Everyone wants that. Everyone's chasing after that or something like that. You know, it may be a declaration over you or something that without words that will affirm something in you. Everyone is chasing a sense of glory. Or maybe it's a a moment of great achievement or success to feel this glory. Or maybe it could be a moment of deep connection with other people in the world. These are all these false substitutes for the glory that can only be found in Jesus. See, a glorious experience is a feeling of being lifted beyond the ordinary or the mundane. It's transcendence. It's a deep emotional or transformative experience that leaves a lasting impression on someone's life. And everybody in our culture 
are always chasing more moments of glory, aren't they? Aren't we? Everybody wants glory. Everyone is going to chase down what they can so they can get closer to the next glory moment. Doing what we can to achieve something that gets us nearer to the next glory moment. And sadly, so often we see that when we aren't quite getting to the glory moment, we can simply turn to what you can eat or drink or smoke or take so you can get another false substitute for a glory moment. Do you see this in our society? This glory hunting, this glory mining accumulation of things to try and get glory, all these false substitutes for Jesus, you know, to feel a particular way. People want their glory in what they can feel, you know. I want to feel sexy. I want to feel sexy. Get some sexy glory, you know. Or personal wellness glory. You know, you get your priorities right and your family lifestyle right and get your activities right, get your mental health right, get your yoga schedule right, get your ice bath right, get healthy feeling right, all of these things, and I'll get closer to that sense of glory. Or the personal growth to help you feel that glory. Well, yes, I've done this professional development. I'm going to do this course next. And I've been listening to these TED Talks and these podcasts. And, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm really beginning to be more fulfilled. And, um, yeah, I'm going to be more, uh, more informed on getting my glory fix is how you would translate it. But it doesn't have to be by just what you feel. It can be associated with particular things, can't it? can be found in stuff. Get some glory from some stuff. The luxurious home, the nice car, the trendy clothes, the particular breed of dog, the highest performing child in the school, the stuff. Or it might be in the stuff of social connections. If I align with myself with the right group, if I have the right friends, if my immediate community or connections can make me feel a particular way, if I can latch myself onto that, I'll get a glory fix, won't I? Which is all good until you discover that everything rusts, everything breaks down, everything ends up at the tip and burns. Every social connection will come to an end. People die, people lose their minds, people disappoint. Or maybe it's not to feel something, maybe it's not to get something, maybe the glory, the focusing away from Christ, maybe the glory is to experience something. Here's a word for the surf coast. Here's a word for a lifestyle-orientated generation. Outdoor activities. Get some glory there, won't I? Walking the treks of Iron Bass Basin. Isn't it glorious? Yes, it is. It's amazing. But it's supposed to point you to the Creator. Don't worship the created. What about the adventure? Outdoor activities are surfing, hiking, camping. They're exciting and challenging pursuits that give us a sense of thrill and fulfilment. But then it stops at just that. And we don't give praise to the one who made it or gave us bodies to enjoy it. Or people try to find their glory fix in what they can experience in travel or new experience, a new culture. And if they don't have the money to, for that, they'll just stay home and eat the Chinese food. You know, 
drink the nice coffee and have a glory moment and experience of feeling fulfilled in that way. And look, none of those things are bad. They're all good things. Family, friends, social connections, a nice house, a particular breed of dog. It's not bad. But all these things are just shadows of the one who made them. They're supposed to direct us to Jesus. And we're supposed to get our glory in him. (laughs) All of those things will fail. But here's the truth. Jesus won't. 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the glory of God? Look, your single origin cold drip brew is great. But go to Jesus. First, go to Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and by his and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And the word became flesh. Jesus became God, Jesus came flesh, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did the disciples say? And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. And then what Paul writes to the Colossian church, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through him. All things were created through him. All things were created through him. All those things that we're tempted to look at were created through him and for him. So here's the application of what Paul's saying in this text to the church in Corinth. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the, it's not, it's, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And all those things, with the world, they're passing away. They're fading. They're dying. They're useless. They will not be good to you in eternity. But whoever does the will of God, abides forever. One last question then. What is the will of God that he wants us to do? Do you know that? Do you know the answer to that question? What is the will of God? Well, let me tell you, it's firstly and foremostly not keeping a whole bunch of rules Let me tell you, firstly and foremostly, it's not a bunch of religious activity. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Do you know how we're sanctified? Do you know what that means to become holy? Do you know how we do that? Do you know how that happens? Somehow, mysteriously, by beholding more of Jesus and looking to him in his glory, we somehow become more like Jesus. So where did we start? Look at Jesus. Isn't he glorious? Look at all that he's done. Look at all that he's made. Isn't he amazing? Look at the clouds and the blue sky that he's given us this day. Look to your friends and your family around you and see the image of God that is painted on them and smile. Drink a coffee and feel its caffeinated awesomeness and go, God, you made this. You're amazing. This is a glorious, amazing gift. Feel your heart beat within your chest and you don't even have to think about it. Feel your lungs expand and close down and know that somehow there's oxygen pumping through your veins so that you can breathe, so that you can taste, so that you can smile, so that you can love, so that you can give praise and see and behold and enjoy Jesus. That is the beginning of your sanctification. We began our Christian life. How? By throwing ourselves upon the mercy of God and saying, we are hopeless, we are helpless, please save us. And then we continue our life in that way with the power of His Spirit and we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God and we say, I just want to keep looking at how good you are. Please help us. Please save us. Please change us. Please sanctify us. For I know that this is your will. So church, I don't know what the things are in your life that you are looking at over here where there is a wall that's stopping you from looking at Jesus. I don't know what they are. And I'm not going to presume that I do. I've given some examples based on where we live and the type of church that we are. But if there is something that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart right now and you're like, far out, that's a blindfold to me right now. I do not get to see Jesus more clearly because I'm too busy looking at this thing that's going to fade, that's going to rust, that's going to die, that's going to perish. I don't know what that is that God's bringing to your mind but I know how I can help. And it's by going to the best thing that God has given us, and that is prayer. And then asking him to direct us in his word so that we may behold more of the glory of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray now. And we're going to finish our time together. And I don't know what your next steps are, but my prayer is going to include a request for wisdom. That we will know. And we're going to pray and we're going to watch and we're going to see how might God direct us in our lives so that we can see more of Jesus. It's simple. But in my experience, it's also very powerful. So let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.